Welcome to Dissecting Medical History, the Microscopic Edition. This is a mini version of the Non-Techie Podcast, where I bring you interesting, entertaining topics in a storytelling format. I'm Ange, a travel nurse, history enthusiast, and your host, and I'm really glad you're here. Sometimes when I'm researching other topics, I come across stories that are kind of too short for their own episode, but that I think that are kind of a fun thing to share. So I thought maybe I should start putting together little episodes where I share those little stories. So this is the first of hopefully a new addition to my podcast that I'll call Microscopic Stories. Today is the first edition of my microscopic series with two short stories that I am dying to share with you. Pun intended. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Let's get this story started. So in the 16th through the 18th centuries, there was a growing interest in the human anatomy, which led to demands for hands-on dissection of human bodies. However, there was a shortage of these bodies because the city of uh, London, in England, most of the cities there, would only allow a certain amount of bodies from the gallows to be dissected. The first of my stories takes place in Oxford in 1650. That's about 100 years before the 1752 Murder Act that stated that bodies of all murderers be sent to be dissected after death. No burial in order to make punishment worse than death. That probably had a big impact on your decision to murder someone, I'm sure. You're about to kill someone and think, no, if I get caught, maybe I shouldn't do that because uh, not only will I be hung, but I'll be dissected. So if you were in a life of crime, I don't think that thought really occurred to you as a prevention of punishment but or prevention of the act, but I do believe that Uh, it was probably in the thoughts of many of the prisoners who had already gotten caught and then they regretted, but a little too late, right? So my first story is about Anne Green. She was 22 year old house servant to a man called Sir Thomas Reed. Reed was the high sheriff in Oxfordshire and was involved in parliament as well. Reed's 16 year old grandson seduced and got Anne pregnant. I say seduced because that's what most of the stories I read about her said, but it sounded more like she perhaps was raped, though, like I said, they didn't come right out and say it. Somewhere between the fourth and sixth month of her pregnancy, she started having severe pains and ended up giving birth to a stillborn. Of course, Anne was very scared and distressed, so she panicked. She hid the body in the in the Reed home attic and well of course it didn't take long for them to discover the body she was tried for murder and sentenced to hang on December 14th 1650 she maintained her innocence all the way to the hangman and she was hung for about half an hour while friends and spectators were hanging on her legs and thumping on her chest. There is a picture that I will post that has 
one of the bystanders thumping her chest with the butt of a rifle. Now, I'm not sure what the thumping of the chest is. It's not a new thing. I don't know if that's supposed to help kill them. I know the hanging on the legs is supposed to help the act of strangulation so that it doesn't prolong the hanging, but the thumping of the chest, I'm not exactly sure what that thought was there behind that, but that's what they were doing. Uh, the, <clears throat> the uh, Miss Green was then placed into a coffin and sent off to William Petty and Thomas Willis, who were antonomists and surgeons. They opened their hall up to the public because this was quite a popular event. When there was a dissection, they, especially if it was a dissection that was getting bodies legitimately, like from the gallows, they would open up to the public. They could sell tickets and uh, they would have people come and look um, at the dissection process. So why not make a little extra money while you're doing research? But for this particular occasion, uh, the the place was packed with family, friends, as well as the curiosity seekers. I I don't I don't understand. I get the fact that people would want to see the dissection. I mean, I'm a nurse. I wanted to go and see the body works when I was in nursing school forever ago, and I enjoyed seeing the anatomy. I thought it was amazing. I got to do a dissection in some of my classes, but I don't know that I could go and see a dissection of my friend or my sister. That seems a little more macabre to me, but I don't know. What do you think? Put your thoughts in the, in the comments. If you would be one of those that would be at the dissection of a family member Maybe they wanted to make sure it was done properly. Maybe they were just curious as the inside of what that person, I don't know. But anyway, that's pretty interesting. So in Anne's case, she did have family and friends there as spectators. And her coffin had come in. They opened it up before the doctors had arrived. And what they found was she started making some noises say they said some rattling noises and someone in the crowd started pounding on her chest and stomach until the surgeons arrived once they did they forced water down her throat they rubbed her hands and feet forcefully they bled her they rubbed turpentine on her rope burns they gave her all kinds of medications they uh, finally took her out of the coffin and put her in a bed and someone started to, I quote, rub her gently. Um, after all that, she survived. She even asked for beer the next day. The uh, One of the issues was that she did have some amnesia of the hanging, but for the most part, she was eating solid foods by the end of the week. <laughs> the court wanted to rehang her, but her uh, resuscitators came to her rescue and told the court that she was indeed innocent. That not only was the baby born dead, but that if it had been alive when it was born, it wouldn't have survived long anyway. They even went so far as to say that the grandson should be, com should be compensating her because he's the one that put her in the situation in the first place. 
doubtful though that the Reed family did any of this. And I also read that Sir Reed died in December 1965, but I'm not sure if he died before or after Anne was hung and survived. But maybe her coming back to life shocked him to death. Anne was allowed to live, and she stayed with Petty and Willis, earning money by laying in that coffin where she was almost dissected, earned a little extra money for the crowd. But then when she left, she took her coffin with her and uh, as a trophy, and she said it was a trophy of her wonderful preservation. She ended up getting married and having three kids. Why she survived was probably a combination of maybe the very cold winter December day she was hung and the fact that she was thumped on the chest so much that it could have been a sort of a CPR and her hanging never quite maybe the family and friends didn't pull on her legs quite hard enough and so she never really did go under. The demand for bodies was still lacking, even with the allowance of murderers, which made it prime time for the resurrectionists, also known as grave diggers, body snatchers, and sack-em-up men. In 1826, there was about 10 full-time and 200 part-time resurrectionists. They usually worked in gangs and had it pretty down to a quick system to prevent getting caught. It was not illegal to take a body, but for some reason it was illegal to be caught with the body. And it was also illegal to steal the clothes from that body. So they often would strip the body naked before sacking it and taking it. Um, it was also risky business for the surgeons. So they would dissect as quickly as possible also not wanting to be caught with the resurrectionists. And they also uh, did not, they couldn't really complain too much about how much money they were paying for these bodies because the, uh, if they couldn't, if they didn't want to be caught, obviously. So it was a risky business. The uh, resurrectionists did get pretty good money making this. It was pretty lucrative business. And my next story is about two couples that found a way to bring the bodies to them. No digging required. Two men ended up coming to Edinburgh to work on the Union Canal in 1817. William Burke was an Irishman who was married with two kids, but since they refused to leave Ireland, he came alone and eventually hooked up with Helen McDougall. Burke worked several different trade jobs, one of which was shoemaking. William Hare married a widower who ran her late husband's lodging house. She'd had one child from the previous marriage and then ended up having two with Hare. Neither couple had a criminal past. And one day, one of the lodgers had died before paying his rent. Someone had the, the bright idea to sell the body to pay off the debt. They found their way to Dr. Robert Knox's anatomy school in Edinburgh. Dr. Knox was established already a year before the meeting and probably was already dealing with the body snatchers because most of the bodies from the murders of from the gallows went to schools, uh, not necessarily these more uh, private schools. 
But it was Burke and Hare that learned how the supply could make them some good money. They had made a little over seven pounds, that first body. And that's a little bit of uh, 700 pounds today. The second body was a lodger who had gotten sick. So Hare and Burke helped him along, gave him some whiskey, and then suffocated him after he'd passed out. That guy made them 10 pounds. Within a year, they killed 16 people altogether. 12 of those were women. Two of them were handicapped youths. Knox bought all of them. Their set price was 10 pounds in the winter and 8 pounds in the summer. And one pound went to Mrs. Hare since she's the one that stored the body in her lodging house until removal. The victims were lured in with promises of drink and hospitality. Then, when they were passed out, they were suffocated. One of the women was a well-known beautiful prostitute known as Mary Patterson. The anatomy students, some of them, recognized her, and Knox preserved her body for a few months in alcohol before her dissection. There was also a disabled young man that people on the street called Daft Jamie, who, ten, who disappeared. It was said that he was a good boy who didn't fight back, but he disappeared and things uh, started to get suspicious. But Hare and Burke lured Jamie, got him drunk, and then they tried to suffocate him after he passed out. But Jamie fought back. It took both men to hold him down and kill him. They were finally all discovered after one of the lodging couples couldn't find the new visitor that they had met the day before, Maggie, who had just arrived. The couple found her under the bed dead, and they immediately went to the police. And a side note, it said that Edinburgh's police department was one of the first ones, um, first city police departments in the country, and that it was a pretty good police department that were very thorough. So I thought that was a pretty interesting little side note. Anyway, by the time the police showed up, I'm not saying they were slow, but by the time they showed up, the body was not only moved from the to the Knox school, but it had already been dissected with no evidence remaining. But that didn't stop them. They pressed charges. They didn't need evidence anyway because Hare and his wife turned on Burke and Helen in exchange for no charges. Helen was found not guilty. There is no evidence that she knew anything that was going on. She thought um, there was one thing that said she thought that he was a grave robber, but did not know that they were killing the bodies themselves. And so Burke was sentenced not only to hang, but of course to be dissected as well. Knox was never tried. He wasn't even at the trial as a witness. The fact that the doctor never said anything about the bodies being not from the graves. Obviously, I think you could tell the bodies weren't decaying at all. They were pretty fresh. They weren't dirty like they came out of the ground. One of them would have shown signs of struggle. Poor little Jamie. Um, they, he didn't say anything about any of that. So he was kind of surprised that the public had such a 
hostile reaction towards him. There was cartoons that showed him as a butcher of fresh meat. And he pretty much uh, was was shook from that. His colleagues and students did defend him, but of course they know that the business of anatomy is to get bodies, no questions asked. Plus, Knox was a very busy guy. He was teaching and researching full-time. He was a curator at a, a museum of uh, College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. His, um, his research led him to work on some books. He was trying to get into teach at Edinburgh University. He was a very ambitious guy, and sometimes he had to rely on other people to help him with his anatomy school. So he may not have fully understood what was happening. Uh, like I said, no questions asked, you get the bodies, but still the public did not see that as a ethical thing. So Knox's reputation never really recovered and he ended up moving to New Zealand to start anew. Now Hare ended up fleeing to Scotland, changing his name because of course, the public was angry at him. He didn't suffer any of consequences for his actions that I could find. I don't know what ended up happening to him in Scotland, but he definitely fled. I also don't know what happened to his wife, uh, who got the one pound for storing the bodies. Uh, she, of course, didn't get tried either, so I don't know what happened to her. Let's see. Burke was hung. And the crowd yelled, Burkham, which became to mean suffocate, to, to suffocate him. The term burking, I guess suffocation by leaning on and compressing the chest, came from the actions of Burke. So it was such a outcry from the public, from the actions that they had done, that it became a thing. His antonymized body had a huge audience and it said that 25,000 people came to see the body. Burke and Hare weren't the only ones selling bodies. Of course, they weren't the only ones killing to sell the bodies. And this highlighted this, the fact that there was a problem. The public acknowledged it. Something needed to be done with this whole supply and demand thing. Yes, we need to do research, but you know, there's, there's problems in this whole system. So in 1832, the Anatomy Act started that claim that said any unclaimed bodies from workhouses could be used for dissection. And this helped provide more bodies. I don't know why. <laughs> I guess workhouses had a lot of dead bodies. I don't know. But this also helped phase out the uh, sack them up guys. Well, if you wanted to know more information about Burke and Hare, there is a book called The Anatomy Murders by Lisa Rosner. Also, there is a website called burkeandhare.com. And there's several movies. I've never seen any of them, but there are some movies about this subject. One that has Simon Pegg, a famous actor. And so if you wanted to see more about that, you could watch the movie, read the books, uh, they do talk more in detail about the victims if you're into the true crime type stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed the short stories. If you did, 
please give me a kind review and some star love. And click subscribe if you haven't already, if you want to hear more. So I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.